0: Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, If any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others." even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that hath the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with a father he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send unto you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was of heaviness because that he had heard that he had been sick for indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God hath mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such an reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. It's especially those verses 6 through 8. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross may god bless the reading of his word and the explanation of this text his humbling himself we look at lord's day 14 question 35 and 36 what is the meaning of these words? He was, received, he was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. Answer. That God's eternal Son, who is and continueth true and eternal God, took upon him the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, that he might also be the true seed of David, like unto his brethren in all things sin except. Question 36. What profit dost thou receive by Christ's holy conception and nativity? Answer that he is our mediator. And with his innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God, My sins, wherein I was conceived and brought forth. Loved in our Lord Jesus Christ, one of our elders greeted me this morning and said, Blessed Christmas. I looked at him. Oh, okay, yes. The Lord's Day that's before us. Christ Incarnation. Do you remember some of those words that we just read or sang from Psalm 89? That God has placed help upon one who is mighty, and the Lord declares that he has laid help on him. Help for his dearly loved people. Our Lord Jesus is mighty in love. He is mighty in his sufferings. He was mighty in his words. He was mighty even in his silence. He was mighty in life. And he was mighty in death. Yes, he was mighty in all things. And upon him, the Lord laid help and that for the purpose of saving his people, of saving you, and of saving of me. We in Adam had fallen into a terrible depth of misery and pain and grief and anxiety and sin and death and Satan and hell. We were kind of like, so lost, like that plane several years ago. Over the Indian Ocean, they could not find anything of it. We were so lost in our sin and death. But, but we were not predestined to perish, but we were predestined to eternal blessedness. To know, to enjoy, to bless and to praise God. How can we do that? For that purpose, God laid help, not upon a weakling, not upon a coward, but upon a mighty one to save, to save us. So we consider at this time the first step of our Lord Jesus Christ, the mighty one, the first step that he took to that end of saving us. Having looked at four names of our Savior, Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, this Lord's Day presents us really with two more names of our Savior. He is the Son of Man, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. And so today we start our study of the five steps of Jesus' humiliation, where he came underneath the law and under the curse of the law in our place. His birth, his lifelong suffering, his death, his burial, and his descent into hell. So notice with me, confessing our Savior's birth, first of all, how the Son of God became man, Second of all, why the Son of God became man. And then thirdly, the benefit of Christ's birth. How did Christ become man? Notice what the Catechism tells us, that the eternal Son of God is and remains true God. I want to start with that phrase first of the Catechism. Because there are all kinds of denials of that, aren't they? Menno says that he brought forth his human nature from heaven. Not from here on earth, from the Virgin Mary. Or Marian said, Jesus had a phantom body, just in the appearance of a body. Or polinaris said, while well, Jesus had a human body, but instead of a human soul, that was his divine nature. Even Luther made a statement about God, quit being God, and became man. Think of it, he said. No, no, the eternal Son of God is and remains true God. That is the essence of true doctrine. Our Savior is God. He never laid that Godhead aside. Oh, he laid his glory aside, but not his Godhead. We read in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is, is come in the flesh, is God. And every spirit that confesseth not Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now is already in the world. It is a denial that Jesus Christ remained God. We read in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due sense. Jesus Christ is God. That's the reason that John, the apostle, writes very late in his life the Gospel of John. These things are written that ye may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He never laid that aside. If one would want a good picture, I guess, of what Jesus did in this first step of his humiliation, one would think of stories about how a prince or a king would dress himself differently and go amongst his people, serving them, getting to know his people. Christ Jesus came down from heaven and became one of us. That is, he laid aside his glory, not his Godhead, he laid aside his glory and took the form of a servant without severing, without surrendering his divine nature. Do you see him in your mind's eye there in the upper room before they have the last Passover feast with Jesus, Jesus taking off his outer cloaks, wrapping himself with a towel and washing his disciples' feet? He humbled himself from heaven and accomplishing his work here on earth, he returns to heaven as the son of God and as the son of man. So Jesus Christ, the catechism says, is and remains true God. But he goes on then, doesn't he? He says, and the eternal son of God became man. Oh what an act of love that was of our savior. Usually we think of we think of Jesus coming to earth as an act of the father, don't we? We think of him giving his son. As we read in Romans chapter 8 verse 32, he spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. Indeed, our redemption is an act of God, but beloved his coming down from heaven was also an act of Jesus Christ in himself. And that's what the Catechism says so beautifully, doesn't it? We read there in Lord's Day 14 that God's eternal Son, who is and continueth true and eternal God, took upon himself the very nature of man of the flesh and the blood of the Virgin Mary. He took on himself. And he took on that birth in order to die. In order to suffer all of his life for our, in our place and to die our death. That was the purpose of his birth. Job, you will remember, boys and girls, cursed the day of his birth because of his terrible suffering. But the suffering of Job was nothing, was nothing compared to the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. As he took on our form and all of his life here on earth and especially on the cross... He was underneath the wrath of God for your and my sins. But Jesus Christ did not curse the day of his birth, but willingly he took on himself our flesh. When did he do that? We read in Galatians 4 and 5. He did it in the fullness of time. He did it, as we read in Philippians 2, verse 7, Though he possessed glory, he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant, of the flesh and blood of Mary. How beautifully that was professed in the Old Testament, that there would be the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. How beautifully this incarnation of Christ Jesus was prophesied to the wicked king Ahaz. Ahaz says, no, I don't want a sign from God that God's going to help me. And Isaiah says, you will receive a sign. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God does the impossible, doesn't he? Just as he did the impossible with Abraham. Sarah was old and so was Abraham, but God did the impossible. He received a son. As God did the impossible for Jacob and his wife, Rachel, giving them children. As the Lord did with Hannah. As the Lord did with the mother of Samson. The Lord does the impossible. A virgin conceives and bears a son. Prophesied and then announced... The angel comes and says, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give to him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob and forever And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Made of a woman. Prophesied, announced, and then finally fulfilled, wasn't it? Listen to that gospel as it comes to us in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We read there, And so it was that while they were there, that is in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Boys and girls, I think most of you have memorized those verses from Luke, haven't you? The promise for all those years of that Savior coming after 4,000 years fulfilled. Christ was born in Bethlehem. And of course, that is the preaching of the gospel, isn't it? The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, we preach not ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves as your servants. Jesus remains God, but also takes on his human nature. And oh, how Satan tried to stop that, didn't he? He tried to stop that from happening already in the Old Testament when Pharaoh said that all the baby boys of the Hebrews had to be drowned in the river. Or with a wicked Haman that wanted all the Jews killed in his day, but he himself was put on the gallows that he made. Or when the baby Jesus is born, when King Herod tries to kill Jesus by killing all the male boys in Bethlehem. And yes, Satan wanted to get rid of Jesus by the chief priest. Somehow murder him, get rid of him. Finally on the cross. And yet that was exactly the purpose of God. Jesus was born in order that he might die That he might die for you, and he might die for me, that he might die for all of his own in their place. Jesus Christ became man. And how was that possible? Luke 1 verse 35 tells us that it was not by the will of man, was it? It wasn't by the will of Joseph. Joseph wasn't involved in that birth at all. It was not by the will of Mary, but rather the angel came and said, the Lord's going to do this by his spirit. How wonderful. And the catechism catches that. While he is and he remains God, he took on himself our flesh, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. There we see, don't we, the triune God involved in our redemption, just as the triune God is involved in creation. The Father giving his Son, the Son taking on his human nature, the Holy Spirit empowering that young life to be in the womb of Mary. Took on our flesh, became just like us, except He was without sin. He took on a weakened human flesh. One that could become sick. One that could become tired. Remember how Jesus falls asleep there in that boat in the midst of a storm. So tired from his work. He could become hungry. He looks for food on the fig tree and there was nothing there and he curses it. Jesus became like us. In our humbled state, except without sin. Born of a woman, not created, not in appearance, but born without original sin, without the pollution of sin. Why? Because he is a divine person, not a human person. He's a divine person who takes on our human nature what a mysterious mysterious work that is isn't it we read in first timothy these words chapter 3 verse 15 But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth, without controversy, great is that mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into the glory. There you have the whole gospel in that one verse in a nutshell. What a mysterious work. And with that, we say the human mind can't understand it. And the wicked carnal mind doesn't want to hear it. But a mystery is that which is revealed, it's a mystery in that it's an amazing wonder. One cannot explain it from acts in nature. It's a sign, wasn't it? God does the impossible. And two things are necessary then for that mystery to be revealed unto us. Number one, God reveals it. He reveals it in his word. And second of all, we have to have spirits. That is, souls in whom the Holy Spirit dwells so that we may understand it. For they spiritual things, only the godly can understand, can they? Not science. We don't look for the scientists to explain it for us. We go to God's word. As, God, as the angel comes, first of all, to Mary, then the angel comes to Joseph, fear not. Fear not to take unto yourself Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. The Son of God, who is and remains God, takes to himself our flesh. That's the how. An act of love. Now why? And the Catechism doesn't right away say, (coughs) to redeem us. But rather the catechism says that he might be the true seed of David. What does that mean? Look at here at the centrality of Christ Jesus in his human nature. He is that seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 1. That's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. Genesis 3. He is that seed of Abraham, Galatians chapter 3, singular, that was promised and was coming into the world. He is the seed of David, the one who is going to sit upon a throne forever and ever. Great is the mystery of godliness. That, too, was promised in the Old Testament. Psalm 132, verse 11, The Lord has sworn in truth unto David that he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon the throne. And so in the New Testament, Peter, in his sermon, references David, doesn't he? Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God hath sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit upon his throne. And the Apostle Paul, in his preaching, Acts chapter 13, speaks also of David, of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised up unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. And again, Paul writes in Romans 1, verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to his flesh. Christ was made like us, centrally as the Son of God in our flesh, promised to us, delivered to us, in order that he might go to the cross for us. Boys and girls, Jesus grew up just like any other young child his age. That is, he had to learn how to speak. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn, study the scriptures in order to understand them. He could become sick and tired as you and I can. A real flesh, body and soul. So that body and soul, he could stand in our place. That was the terrible error earlier in the church of Apollinaris. He really said that Jesus Christ was something other than us. For you have been created by God in your mother's womb with a body and a soul to be a real human being, then, you need a body and a soul. And Paul said, no, he had no soul. That was the divine nature, the error. He is and he remained God, but he took on himself our flesh. And that flesh means body and soul. And he did that so he could stand in our place. So that he could bear the punishment of your and my sins. He could stand in our place because he had no sin of his own. For if he was a real man with his own sin, he'd have to pay for his own sin. But he had none. And therefore... Therefore, from Lord's Day 6 already, why does our Savior have to be truly God and truly man? In order to stand in our place, he's a righteous man, but he also had to be God so that he could overcome the death for sin. He could have that victory over Satan and death. And he had to be God in order that he now from heaven Bestows those benefits to you and me. Christ in heaven bestowing forgiveness of of our sins. Christ Jesus in heaven bestowing his own righteousness, making it our own. Jesus Christ in heaven feeding us with that hope that this world is not all of our life, it's just a beginning, a trial, a difficulty, a pilgrimage but the hope of eternal life. What a Savior. He stood in our place to accomplish your and my redemption. So look at our Savior then by faith. He is and He remains God, divine nature. He took on Himself our flesh. Of the body and the blood of the Virgin Mary. That means that Jesus must have looked a lot like his mother. When our children are born, we look at them. Hmm, do they look more like dad or do they look more like mom? A little bit both of features maybe. But he only had one human parent, didn't he? His mother. That's where he would have got the characteristics of his human nature what a thing. Leaving heaven, being born of the Virgin Mary with one purpose, to suffer God's wrath and to die our death to remove our sins. Christmas indeed is an important church holiday. We celebrate what God gave, what Jesus Christ did in love, willingly left the glory of heaven and came down into the mire of our sins. What a Savior. That brings me to my third point, then our benefit. The so what? And that's something that you and I need to do whenever we read God's word and take a portion of it, whether it be around our tables or whether it be in the preaching of the word, the so what, the application. What does this mean to us? And at Christmas time, may we not be so focused then on the glittering tree or the presence underneath it, but the gift of God's Son. Oh, how you and oh, how I need that birth of Christ Jesus. How we need that birth because we have, as we read at the beginning of our call to worship, we have all gone astray in sin, haven't we? We were conceived in sin. That's all our parents could bring forth is little sinners. Sinners. And it's only by Christ Jesus and the Spirit of Christ that we are given life from above. And all of our life, even the most holy man has only a small part of that new obedience. Every day we sin, don't we? Every day we need to go to the cross of Jesus Christ and cry out, forgive me, O Lord, a sinner. A sinner who is worthy of Of his wrath and death. But Christ. Christ by his birth. Came to stand in our place. Came to take the wrath of God for sin upon himself. He took your and my sin. He took your and my guilt on himself so that the wrath of God would rest on him all of his life, and especially there on the cross. So what rests upon you and me? Not God's wrath, not for a moment, not a punishing wrath, that is, but his grace, his grace. Oh, is there wrath of God at times on us too? Yes, yes. Boys and girls, are your parents at times very displeased with you? In fact, angry with you? Yes. In their love. And so God at times too is angry with us in his love. He is a jealous God, not wanting us to serve other gods. And in his wrath, he chastises us just like your parents spank you boys and girls or ground you young teenagers. God does that with his sons and daughters because we are his children. and He loves us and he wants to turn us around. Always in his love in Christ Jesus. He covers all of our sins. And so the catechism mentions there our benefit is that we have a wonderful mediator. And the word mediator is one who stands in between. When there is troubles at work, maybe against the the employer and the employees, a mediator will be brought in to somehow try to get the two parties back together again. God is the sinless one, the holy one. You and I are sinners. How in the world, how in the world can God have any fellowship with sinners? And the answer is not because he brings the two together, but rather Christ satisfies the demand of the righteous God. He takes that sin away from us and he gives us his righteousness and therefore you have that beautiful, beautiful dialogue in our worship service. God speaking to us. And we respond in songs and giving of our gifts and the hearing of his word worship. Remember the story, boys and girls, of Ruth the Moabitess? She comes with Naomi back to Israel. What is her hope amongst those people? And you'll remember that there was a near kinsman, a redeemer, the word for it. Boaz was able to take care of the needs, the debt that the family had left so that Ruth and Naomi have a full share once again in the life of Israel. Well, beloved, you and I have a near kinsman. Christ Jesus became one of us, Emmanuel, God, with us in order to be that redeemer of us, taking away our debt so that we are of God's household, sons and daughters. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ came down to earth in order to be that perfect all sufficient, innocent, perfectly holy, one who covers all of our sins, sins that you and I were conceived and born with. What a Savior. What grace, what wonderful grace. Our sins forgiven. Not merely hid from God's face but wiped away erased never to be held against us what a savior the first step of his humiliation he took on himself our flesh and blood of the virgin mary amen Oh, Father in heaven, we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus. That he was willing to leave the glory of heaven, to come into our state, to die our death. What a Savior. Receive our thanks. Bless our lives, that we may show our thankfulness. By our service and obedience. Amen.